Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Dan Orlovsky with us now. Dan, in terms of all five quarterbacks, now that we finished the first round, who's in the best position for success? I think it's Josh Rosen going to Arizona. I mean, he's going to go to a, a, a place where their play caller is going to have a really good idea of what he's good at. The expectation is going to be a little bit less. He's going to have Larry Fitzgerald for a year. And just that, just like having a veteran quarterback in your room is important, Larry's going to be able to impart a ton of wisdom on Josh Rosen. And I do believe that there's something to that, uh, that motivation that he talked about, that, that uh, anger of dropping, that embarrassment tied to it. So I think the Arizona Cardinals are in a great spot with Rosen, and I think Rosen's in a great spot going there. How many of these guys do you think start week one? I mean, we've got Baker Mayfield, we got Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. I think most people would say Lamar Jackson is unlikely because obviously Joe Flacco is there and he's been starting a lot of games in a row. But what about the other four guys? How would you break them down? I think two will. I, I think Baker Mayfield is going to start day one. I have no reason to doubt that he will. I mean, everyone who doubts him usually is wrong. So I think he's going to go in there and win that job. And then I think Josh Rosen starts day one. There's no reason not to start Josh Rosen. He he can handle everything at the line of scrimmage. He's smart enough. He's seen everything. He's going to be able to walk into that quarterback room and fully digest that playbook immediately. Josh Allen should not start week one. He needs the, the biggest growth he needs to make is, is playing quarterback, and that happens mentally. So they need to allow him to sit and learn some stuff. There's going to be an incredible jump from him coming from the – Mountain West into the NFL, obviously. And then Sam Darnold's in a unique spot. You know, I would imagine Josh McCown plays early, and if they have success, that'll be the case. And if they start to struggle, then it's, it's going to be Sam's team to go, but then it's going to affect Todd Bowles' job. 
Um, when you think about the uh, the overall lineup here, um, let's start with Baker Mayfield. He's a walk-on who ends up winning the Heisman Trophy and going number one overall in the NFL draft. What was your recruiting process like, and can you imagine that feeling to go from walking on at Texas Tech and Oklahoma where you don't ever have a promise to win the job and you end up winning both those jobs and then you also take the next step and win the Heisman Trophy and then you go number one overall. This is a story the likes of which we've never seen before. Yeah, I was just, you know, last night when it happened, I said no matter where he went, no matter if he was going to go one or five or six, every kid needed to hear that story and every kid needed to see that it's about what you think of yourself, not somebody else. I mean, like you said, like the storyline tied to it is absolutely remarkable. My recruiting process was I was readily recruited bigger schools. I went to a smaller school because I wanted to play early and go do something that was pretty special. So I never had that experience. I know guys who were walk-ons, and, and you always hear, man, I walked on in college, I was an undrafted free agent, and I played for eight years in the NFL. And that's a remarkable story. The fact that he did it twice, won the Heisman, and then was the first pick overall is, I mean, being honest, is one of the most remarkable sports stories, at least since I've been ever been alive. Truthfully, it's absolutely stunning. Sam Darnold, uh, going three overall to the Jets. Uh, the Jets made a big move to get to three with the possibility that they were going to be getting their third favorite quarterback, potentially. They end up getting Sam Darnold, who I bet they had number one overall on their board. What do you think about the fit, Sam Darnold and the Jets, going to New York? Yeah, so one of Sam's strengths, and I've said this, is his ability to throw on the run without perfect feet, and he's always accurate doing so. Well, the Jeremy Bates offense is all predicated upon movement. It's under Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak. So they're going to put Sam Darnold on the move a ton, and that's going to be a strength of his running around, being athletic, still being able to be accurate. So it's a good fit. I've said from the beginning that having Josh McCown there, no matter who went there, was going to be invaluable. And the fact that Darnold's going to go there, and have him in his room with a play caller like Jeremy Bates and an offense that's going to utilize his athleticism, get him on the edges, is a really good fit. Let's go, let's go to Lamar Jackson. Um, he falls all the way to the final pick of the first round, but he goes to a situation potentially where the team is not in that bad of shape. He gets the opportunity to sit behind Joe Flacco for a little while. How long do you think it will be before uh, and, and or will it ever happen that Lamar Jackson is officially the heir apparent. How many more years does Flacco have? Break down the Ravens quarterback situation for me. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. The thing is, Lamar is going to need to run a completely different offense than Joe Flacco is going to run. Lamar needs to be in space, on the move, outside the pocket, and allowed to be creative. Joe Flacco is a statue. And so that'll be interesting to me, at least watching moving forward, do they create a little bit of a package for Lamar Jackson to get him on the field and get him used to kind of like Pittsburgh did with Cordell Stewart back in the day? I would imagine that this is going to go two ways for Joe Flacco. He's either going to be a little bit more representative of the Super Bowl run Joe Flacco because he gets the wake-up call, or Joe Flacco is going to be done by wherever their bye week is. I, I truly believe that. I, if, if Joe Flacco does not play better early on, 
that that organization is in dire need of a little bit of a a little bit of sauce to it, and so Lamar Jackson could be a guy that brings that. So it'll be interesting. If you were Joe Flacco, what would you feel like the moment that draft pick is made? And not just that the draft pick is made, that your team is trading up to go get Lamar Jackson. Now, it's still the bottom of the first round. It's not like they made the pick early in the round. But given the fact that you feel like you're a franchise quarterback, you've won a Super Bowl, you've been there for the Ravens for a long time, what do you think Joe Flacco's true opinion was when he saw that move? Yeah, I mean, taking the, okay, it's a business outside of it, I'd be pissed off. I'd be ticked off because uh, at the end of the day, I've brought you a Super Bowl, and I know I've been compensated uh, for it, but you also haven't done the greatest job of putting weapons around me to have success. You also haven't gotten me some big-time receivers that I can throw to. I can sit there and go, well, Matt Ryan's got Julio Jones and and uh, Sanu and, and Matt Stafford's got Marvin, Marvin Jones and Golden Tate, and you haven't given me anybody. So I'd be pissed off going, if you want me to play better, give me some weapons to throw the ball to. What about okay? Let's go back to Josh Allen. I know you haven't been a fan of Josh Allen. He's going to the Bills. I have said for a while, and I'm no in a, a pinprick as much as you do about playing quarterback. That one thing I have noticed is that it's very hard to get accurate once you get to the NFL. In other words, if you haven't established that you are an accurate quarterback, it's almost impossible to become one in the NFL. Is that a good thesis? And if so, why is it true? And why does that bode ill for Allen? And what do you see as his potential path now that he's with the Bills? Yeah, it's, it's true. You know, you can maybe get incrementally very small. When I'm talking incrementally, I'm talking you can go from 61% to 62 and a half. You know, you're not going to go from 56 to 64. That's just you've you've proven who you are, and you don't just – You've done that for a decade. You're not going to change that in a season. So I, I, there's challenges ahead of Josh Allen with that stuff. I think if, if you're Buffalo, you've got a one, especially early on, do not ask him to run the line of scrimmage. Don't ask him to control your protection. Don't ask him to control your hot or, or, or um, try, to, try to be a Peyton Manning type of the line of scrimmage. Two, you need to utilize Charles Clay or tight end. And all that means before the snap. Spread him out as a wide receiver. Gather some information because if a team lines up a linebacker or a safety out there, you know it's man-to-man coverage. And then when you get that information for him, you tell him, listen, Josh, if it's man-to-man, we're, we're going to work the right side of the field. If it's zone, we're going to work the left side of the field. So you cut the field in half for him. You minimize his pre-snap thinking, and then he can go be athletic. And, and so I, I'm hopeful that Buffalo handles him that way. But you're right. I mean, the accuracy is not going to make a big jump up because everything's harder. Windows are smaller. Defenders are faster. They're smaller. They key on those little things that are going to give you give some stuff away. Last question for Dan Orlovsky at Dan Orlovsky, seven, 12-year NFL veteran quarterback, joining us here early in the morning, outkick the coverage. Um, who else is left? Okay, the first round of the NFL draft is in the books now. Five quarterbacks taken in the first round. As we move into round two and then the rounds on uh, uh three, four, five, six, and seven, are there any quarterbacks out there that you think are still worthy of potentially starting in the NFL in the future? I think Luke Falk from Washington State's got a chance. He's, if you look at, if you just took away arm strength, he's got everything else you want. Very bright, throws with anticipation, good touch on his throws, moves in the pocket well, very smart when it comes to changing protections, handling pressures, diagnosing coverages. 
he has an average to slightly below average arm. But if you handle him the same way a team handled Case Keenum, um, at the same way hand, a team handled the early Kirk Cousins, I think that he's worthy of maybe a third-round pick and seeing what happens with him over a couple of days. Outstanding stuff. Thank you for getting up early with us. That's Dan Orlovsky. Have a good weekend, my man. Thanks for having me, bud. Anytime. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Dan Wetzel, did you stay up and watch every pick, too? Every pick. And do you ever feel like a bad – like, I don't feel bad about myself when I watch a whole game, but every time I watch the whole NFL draft, like, first day, I always think, you're an idiot. There's, like, six minutes of actual news in this thing, and you just watch four hours. This is the first one I've watched. I, I usually am at the draft, um, yeah. which can be torturous. There was one that was almost seven hours long. Ugh. Roger Goodell's first year is a Saturday afternoon. That was when you really felt bad about yourself. Because the weather's good. It's like spring, and you're sitting there yeah, in there all day watching you're these like, draft okay, picks. Okay, the 24th pick, the Ravens take an offensive lineman from Iowa. You're like, <laughs> did I really need to spend time to find this out? Like, and, and you're analyzing which guy to take, and you'll forget he's even on the team. Yes, uh, in a week, like who you know, just it's just a guy. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of that. They t- they used to take fifteen minutes, though. They still have the fifteen minute clock. I don't. I mean, it, I think it should be like 15. it's fi- it's it's ten. I think for the second and third round, isn't it? Isn't it fifteen? No, I think on... they cut it down. Goodell. Oh, okay. The first, I don't know. I well, I guess I sat through. I think it's ten. It used to be fifteen, and everyone took it. And Goodell came in this first year. And at the end of this torturous session of a Saturday in, in uh, Radio City, you know, the thing would start at noon. There'd be, like, Eagles and Jets fans out in the streets of Manhattan, like, chugging big beers at, like, 10 a.m. Yep. You're ready for this thing. It was quite a scene. And uh, he said, we'll never have one this long again. Like, it was, like, his first promise as commissioner. And he did fulfill that one. I'll okay. Give, give good what? out. So it's much better. It's much better. But – yeah, you feel like a little bit of it's a little degenerate at the end when just I mean the guys don't it just doesn't really matter you know. Do you enjoy the booing of Roger Goodell now? Because I we we played the audio of him and you couldn't even hardly hear it on television when he walked out. I love that he walked out with the Dallas Cowboy legends and they still let Roger Goodell have it. And he was like, "Man, I can't believe you, basically you're booing all these Cowboys players," which I thought was actually pretty funny. I now find the hate that fans, and obviously it matters where he is to a certain extent. Uh, like, I don't think if he was in most of the cities, he would have gotten booed like he did there. But you just suspend Ezekiel Elliott for six games. Like, you know it's going to be ugly. I actually find it pretty entertaining. What about you? Yeah, I mean, that's, that was a Ezekiel Elliott thing. I mean, um, it, it gets a little bit much. There's a little bit of that the NHL. You know, like you have to boo Gary Bettman. And it used to be like that with David Stern in the NBA. Like he would get like, and I'd, I always wonder, like, what did David Stern do that everybody hated him? You know, like uh, <laughs> no, it, yeah. it, it is pretty amazing. And Bud Sealing obviously used to get it all the time too. It's like whoever the commissioner is now. Adam Silver seems to be a little bit popular right now, but that could change in a heartbeat too. But whoever the commissioner is, it seems like everybody decides they hate him. Well, yeah, they've also done a better job, um, some of these ones, certainly the NBA, at like not having Adam Silver involved at all in discipline. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the, that's the big thing when you're suspending guys. Uh, now, they do that in the NFL, but nobody believes it because basically it was a directive of Goodell that he was going to get involved in all these off-field 
incidents and be the judge and, you know, Sheriff Roger and all that. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's like, Hey man, I brought the, I brought the draft here for you. You know, yes. like I, I'm only here cause of me. We could have been doing seven hours on Saturday afternoon and your wife's going to be yelling at you cause you just wasted your whole day, um, sitting in there watching this. So I don't know. You know, it, it is, it's, I guess it's part of the entertainment at this point. What did you think about the Browns decision to go with Baker Mayfield? You know, look, I, I'm one of these guys that say, you know, I have absolutely no idea whether any of these guys are going to be good or not, and, and neither does anybody else until it happens. I mean, so I, I'm not one to be like, that was the wrong pick, because I just don't know. Baker Mayfield could be great. Baker Mayfield could be horrible. He could be right in the middle. Um, the one thing I took from it is John Dorsey, the Browns GM, is absolutely, like, just bold. I mean, this was a franchise, particularly of late, that that was so every GM they had was so terrified to draft anybody, they would just keep trading down. And you know, the, the quarterbacks that came across that they could have had fit every single prototype you ever want, and and they didn't want any of them. You know, you want, hey, look at Jared Goff; he's got all the measurables. Now we don't want him. Hey, here's Carson Wentz, a small town, a small college like superstar. Big strong. No, we don't want him. Hey, here's Deshaun Watson. He, you know, high level wins national championship. No, we don't want him. Here's mobile Teddy Bridgewater. Nope. Uh, David Carr prototype. Nope. You know, the, every single guy they were like, ah, we don't want him. We don't want him. If nothing else, Cleveland said, I want him, and we're taking him, and I don't care what anyone says, and I don't care whether I could probably have gotten him at four. I'm not risking it. Baker Mayfield is our quarterback, and we're taking him. And, and to a point, same thing with Ward it's, it's at the quarterback spot at four. Might have been a reach. He doesn't care. This is who he wants. I don't know whether these guys are going to be good or not, but that's certainly a change of philosophy from where the Browns are either too you know paralysis by analysis or too scared to take guys or on occasion would just – Oh my God, Manziel's available. Just grab him. Let's see what happens. And then you're like, dude, did you realize who you drafted? So at least they were bold. Uh, whatever that pans out to be, we'll see. John Dorsey's career is going to bank on that Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback. I got no idea. We're talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports national columnist. When you look at uh, at all the picks out there, the the one that I found most intriguing in the, uh, of the quarterbacks is Josh Allen, because really most people have not watched him play at all at Wyoming. I'm sure you're like me. You watch college football and the NFL all the time. You've seen Lamar Jackson play a lot. You've seen Baker Mayfield play a lot. You've seen Sam Darnold play a lot, and you probably have seen Josh Rosen play a lot if you're a decent college football fan. You had to be a huge college football fan to have watched Josh Allen play very much, and you also have to have chosen not to watch games that really matter in order to watch Wyoming. So, one, I think he is just, to me, the, the, the ultimate, like, what's going to happen, high-risk, high-reward pick for the Buffalo Bills. But I'm more intrigued by this question, and I don't know that I've talked about this with you. To what extent do you believe high school kid tweets should be real big news? And the reason why I bring that up is I said yesterday on the show, hey, when it comes to criminal arrests, we make the decision that if you are a kid, if you're a juvenile, if you're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and your crime is not making public news and or it also you're not being tried as an adult, that your name, your, your wrongdoing is not attached to you forever. For instance, let's say that Josh Allen, when he was 15 years old, 
let's say he got drunk with a bunch of buddies in high school and he drove a car and he got arrested. We would never know about that because that arrest would have been sealed. Now, if it happens when he's 20, everybody knows about it because he's an adult and it's a public record. If we make the decision that what you do from a criminal perspective, by and large, is not news, then we go ahead and toss out all that stuff. To me, that's where going into these tweets when you're 15, 16, 17 years old feels a little bit wrong to me. What about you? I take. I mean, I don't. I don't. Wouldn't judge it for much at all. Uh, I think the only thing you would take out of those is ask them what it's about now. You know, and you know, look, we all do dumb things. Doesn't excuse it. Should be smarter. But I would even be like, let's say he did say something. He did tweet something that's insensitive or you know just just wrong headed, and then said, hey, look. I grew up in this town with these parents, and this is the world when I was around. Then I went to college, and I really opened my mind. And I have a whole different philosophy on life. That's, that's called maturing. You know, like you, you're not supposed to be who you are. You're not supposed to be as an adult who you were at 15. So I wouldn't even care if it was like, he's like, yeah, I actually thought some of these things. I actually thought this was right and not, you know, this was just dumb. Um, Obviously, that's too nuanced of an answer for him to give on the day of the draft. It was smart to just say, this is stupid, but I really don't care. Does somebody in the locker room care? Uh, you know, he can explain that. But certainly the way his teammates cared about him, what, what other people think of him, how he carries himself now is, is it. So I, I'm with you. I don't, I'm glad there wasn't Twitter and Instagram and all that when I was a kid. Um. And I don't know what, you know, I, I just don't really take much from it. Uh, it doesn't really seem like it's, 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 it's particularly relevant to, uh, to anything. I mean, I thought the idea that yesterday, you know, more, and obviously it's new news that, that you know, kind of came out, but that, that Twitter, Twitter tweets from, you know, his high school years was a bigger issue than Baker Mayfield running from the cops. 14 it is months amazing. Ago. It is amazing. Right. I mean, like, that like it is he didn't just get drunk, he ran and had to get tasered. Like as the starting quarterback at Oklahoma, like you there's no excuse for not knowing what's going on now. You know you're in the spotlight. So the idea that that, that happened is a much more that's that's the red flag. And he went number one and everyone's like, Oh Baker, he's so fiery. Yeah. Um okay. You know, and again, I'd be like, "All right, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not draft him on that either. I would not, I wouldn't totally judge him on that either." I think too often, and obviously there's extremes to this, but you know, everybody's a lot better than their worst moment, and uh, obviously that was Baker Mayfield's worst moment. Hopefully, some tweets when you're four, 15 years old was Josh Allen's, but I, I don't think a factor. Everything with Josh Allen is going to be whether he can throw the ball or not. I did watch him play a couple times. I saw him play against Iowa early in the year. It was like a noon game. Talk about degenerate and wasting your afternoon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I remember, you know, a lot of hype about this guy. I just wasn't, like, not much was happening. I was not, I was, if they hadn't been like Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, I would have just been like, okay, you know, somebody's playing quarterback for Wyoming. Whether that means he's going to be good or not, again, I I just I kind of find it folly the, the 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 sports writers that'll tell you that they got this thing break broke down you know I got no idea I mean you know, what, who knows I, the big strong guy 
Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. What I would say is, Jason Martin hit on this, the guy was honorable mention Mountain West. He wasn't first team, he wasn't second team. Now, I'm not an expert when it comes to breaking down uh, a quarterbacking talent, but this is the quintessential expert versus regular guy breakdown because I think most regular people watch Josh Allen. They say, yeah, I don't see the production. You know, if you look at other guys at small schools who have gone at high levels in the draft, Steve McNair played at Alcorn State, and nobody knows about Alcorn State, but he was so much better than everybody else that he got uh, some Heisman recognition. Uh, Carson Wentz played at South Dakota State, I believe it was, and his numbers were pretty fabulous, and they won some Three big national games. titles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the guy had an awful lot of success. At Wyoming, if you're going to be the number seven overall pick, to me, you better jump off the page and better be a quality of player that everybody else isn't even close to when you're in Wyoming uh, in order for me to take you at seven overall. But we'll see what happens. I will say this. We had a lot of kids driving into school with their parents or you're driving into uh, to high school across the country. I, I keep saying this. I would wipe your social media accounts clean once you get to be an adult. Like, what is the benefit of keeping tweets that you sent when you were 12 and 13 years old? Regardless of what you're going to end up doing, people will seek these tweets out or at least make your Twitter account private or do something. I would wipe them out. The other thing I would say is, if you ever do get in trouble for something like this, the best answer, I can say this now as a 39-year-old dad, is to just say, hey, when I was 16, I did a lot of dumb stuff. I'm smarter now that I've been to college. I think just about everybody in America, regardless of our backgrounds, would say, yeah, okay, I'm willing to give you a pass there. Especially if you're a parent, especially if you, like everybody else who grows up one day, did dumb things when you were 15, 16, or 17 years old. Uh, What we want is not for you to continue to repeat the same dumb things and for you to evolve. And uh, and certainly everybody out there is trying to be a little bit better today than they were yesterday. All right, I want to ask you about this. We talked a lot about the draft, but we haven't hardly talked about this on the show at all. What in the world happened with the Condoleezza Rice recommendations in the NCAA basketball world? And were they significant from your perspective? Or was it just another kind of obfuscation from the NCAA to try to defend what is ultimately an indefensible system when it comes to amateurism? Basically a bunch of nothing. You know, um, some small tweaks that will affect virtually, you know, that has no impact on the game. You, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with them. You know, players are going to be able to have some more, uh, a stronger relationship with agents, which I think is fine. Um, I don't even know what some of the other, the other stuff. It's, it's also minor. They didn't attack. There's, there's one problem here. Uh, you know, stronger penalties supposedly against coaches that are found guilty, um, which sounds good, but the thing is, you never really find these coaches 100% guilty. Like, there's no video of them holding a bag of cash. It just doesn't ever work that way. You know, uh, just just stuff that has nothing to do with it. She she totally punted. Everyone punted. Nobody wants to touch it. They they either have to let they either have to let players get their free market. They have to let capitalism reign, or they're sitting there with an NCAA rule book trying to stop the wheels of capitalism in this country, which has never worked and never will work. And you can sit there and say, every player should just be really happy that they get less than what they can on the open market and be grateful, but nobody on earth feels that way. Like, everybody wants whatever they can get. And so um, it, it was a, you know, I, I don't know whether it was a PR move because you bring in Condi Rice and it sounds all this official, but Literally nothing will change. I don't even think they really took what 
the facts that come out in the indictments. You know, they've, they've blamed everything on the NBA. Oh, we got to get these kids out. These, these kids that want to go pro right away should be able to go pro, and that'll do it. That's like saying there was no cheating in college basketball before 2005 when when you they didn't have the one and done. Like, the cheating was even worse. I mean, it it, it just, I don't know. It was just a waste of time. I, they, they, they hyped it up, and they probably overstepped it, and I think they thought they'd get a lot of good publicity. But um, until you address amateurism and essentially get rid of it, um, nothing's going to nothing's gonna change here. They're trying out the same tired arguments. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I didn't even – I thought we would talk about it, and the story just died, and we never even circled around to it. So I at least wanted to touch on it there with you. Dan, thanks for getting up early with us, and uh, I'd encourage you guys to all follow Dan Wetzel on, on Twitter. Go read his column at Yahoo Sports. Have a good weekend, my man. Thanks, man. Take care. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Talking with Casey Smith now. K-A-Y-C Smith on Twitter. Go follow her there. Tell her thanks for getting up early in the morning with us. Casey, when you were watching your Dallas uh, hometown, basically, uh, having the draft last night, did you wish you were there? I did not wish I was there just because I know that I would be bored actually being there. I'd rather (laughs) watch it. Like I feel like the draft is one of those things where in person it would be so boring, but on TV it's awesome to watch. So I'm okay not being there. Plus, my dad said that the traffic was awful because it always is in Arlington and Jerry needs to figure it out. So I was okay being in New York, no question. All right, what about the decision of your Cowboys? I mean, they let Des Bryant go. I don't know that I've talked to you about that. I can't even remember. But there seemed to be an expectation the Cowboys might take Calvin Ridley. They might take DJ Moore. They might take a wide receiver to help to replace him. Instead, they take uh, the linebacker from Boise State. What was your reaction when the pick was announced? Well, going into it, I said that I wanted the Cowboys to make a sexy pick because it always seems like their first pick is kind of boring. And I hate using that word because these guys are incredible football players, but it's like there's nothing exciting about it. It's usually an offensive guard or somebody on the defensive line. So I had a feeling that it would happen. So when it was coming up, I was like, I think they need a wide receiver, but they also need help at linebacker. And going into it, I was really hoping that maybe there's somebody – like Derwin James would fall to the Cowboys, which got really close. I mean, at 17, I was thinking, holy shit, sorry, just cut this. <laughs> Barstool, Barstool Clay, I'm getting used to it. Um, I'm thinking he's going to drop, but when they picked him, the kid was so happy, and I know that's such a cheesy thing to say, but he's wearing the America's team hat, and he's from Texas. He played eight-man football. I'm just thinking, you know what? I can't hate this pick. It's totally a Jerry Jones pick, but they needed help at linebacker, so – Maybe a little bit less needed help at wide receiver, but I was okay with Des being let go. So they'll figure that out along the line. But you can't hate a kid that loves to play for the Cowboys as much as he does. We, you had Johnny Manziel on your show this week at Barstool, um, and he talked about all sorts of different things uh, surrounding his career. One of the big comparisons was Johnny Manziel with Baker Mayfield. Um, what did Johnny Manziel say about Baker Mayfield? What do you think about Baker Mayfield? How do you think he'll do? We, I asked him straight up what he thinks about the, the comparisons between the two. Because that's all you've seen throughout this whole process is that Johnny Manziel and the off-the-field issues look like Baker Mayfield with the arrest and all of that. And then you see Baker Mayfield being compared to guys like Russell Wilson or Drew Brees because of his size. So I asked Johnny what he thinks about that. And he said that every time this conversation comes up, he understands why Baker Mayfield is trying to distance himself from Johnny Manziel because that's what they're trying to do is say, hey, look, the off-the-field stuff might look similar, but at the same time, they're not the same guy. So 
There was a conversation we had on the podcast that was dropped yesterday about exactly what would happen to Baker. There was maybe some thought that he would fall out of the first round from his agent, and then there was also the thought if people could overlook the offseason stuff, off-the-field stuff, that he could go really early. Now, obviously, going number one overall was shocking, but Johnny understands why, he, why Baker would want to distance himself. My question, Clay, and I, it's a good question for you, too, is Baker was really good in college, very electric football player, but going up against Big 12 defenses doesn't say to me, this kid's absolutely going to be able to go up against the NFL defenses the way he did, which was the same question for Johnny because of his style of play. I understand Baker has a better arm, but at the same time, there's still a lot of questions for me with Baker. I don't think he was by far the number one best quarterback in the draft, but apparently the Browns looked at it and said, we don't care about what happened off the field and we're going to take this kid. And Johnny understands those comparisons are going to happen. He thinks that Baker will be okay long-term as long as he keeps his head on straight. It is interesting to compare the two if for no other reason than what you just said. The Big 12 had one player drafted in the top 10 uh, in this first round so far. Um, the SEC had 10 players drafted. And so when Johnny Manziel dominated or when Cam Newton dominated or when Tim Tebow dominated – They've done it in an era of the SEC where the best players are there. That's the reason why I didn't like Lamar Jackson. When Lamar Jackson has played against SEC defenses, I think he's gotten exposed, including against Mississippi State. He hasn't been that great against Kentucky. He just went one and one against them. And LSU absolutely dominated him in a bowl game. And so my belief is it's going to be tough for Lamar Jackson to translate. And that's a good point about Baker Mayfield. He hasn't played against an elite-level defenses the same amount as an SEC or even an ACC uh, player might. Now, to be fair, they did score an awful lot of points against Georgia, even though they lost in that Rose Bowl semifinal of the college football playoff. Uh, what else jumped out at you from round one? Are you a believer in Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, uh, Josh Rosen, or Lamar Jackson? In fact, before I even get to that, what do you think about covering teenager tweets? When did you get social media? You're younger than me. Like, At what age did you get Facebook, and at what age did you get Twitter? I think Facebook went public to people outside of colleges. So I think for a while you had to have a college yeah, that's exactly email address. Right. I think that that went public when I was a junior in high school, maybe a sophomore, but it was around then, and we had no idea what it was. I mean, nobody did, and I remember sitting in – study hall or homeroom or whatever it was called and just typing these things on your Facebook status and thinking it was hilarious and that you had no idea that it would ever come back to get you. And in college, the same thing, underage drinking, like the slutty Halloween costumes, like all of those things, you had no idea that it would come back. And so I ended up getting rid of my Facebook, not just because of that, just because I didn't want it anymore. But I thought that I don't want somebody to go back and look at me when I was 16, having no idea what Facebook looks like seeing what I was saying, I can't imagine having Twitter at 12 years old, 13 years old, like some of these kids do, or even Instagram. It's baffling to me that you are allowed to do that at that age, but that's where we are. These kids that are getting drafted, were barely teenagers saying things. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay to tweet whatever you want, but I can't imagine somebody going back and looking at what 13-year-old Casey thought. That would be horrendously bad, probably. And that's my argument is that we give, if you are arrested for a serious crime and you're a juvenile, you're 15, 16, or 17 years old, unless it goes public because it's such a bad crime or unless you get charged as an adult, we typically burn up those records and toss them away because we say juveniles aren't responsible just like adults are for what they say or do. And that would be the standard that I would apply in general when it comes to looking at the social media postings of young guys 
uh, out there now, like what happened with Josh Allen. Would you have impacted that in any way in your draft analysis if you were the Bills? It doesn't appear that they really did, but is that something that's even worthy of paying attention to from a media perspective or a team perspective? No, I think anytime these tweets do get dug up, there's going to be people paying attention to it because it is a hot topic thing. Now, look, I would never have tweeted or put something racist even at 12 or 13 because I'm not racist. I don't have those thoughts. So anytime you see that, you're like, okay, maybe this kid has some things. But at the same time, he was, what, 13 or 14 years old when these are coming out. And I think you look at it and you say, okay, he was a kid. It's not a great look by any means. They obviously tried to scrub his Twitter. You maybe take that into consideration. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't. I would not look at that and say, this is a kid that we don't want to take anymore because at some point he was stupid on social media when he was a young teenager. Now, if it was really, really blatantly bad things he was tweeting, not just because some of the stuff was just like gross, like kids being kids, some of the stuff that was a little bit racially insensitive, yes. But it's just to me, like, you got to move past it. And I don't think it affected him last night, but I don't know. Did you see the interview on the red carpet with he and Susie Colbert? Did you see, like, his, his thought process on that? I did not see that. I saw him interviewed with Deion Sanders right after the draft pick on the NFL Network. But I, I, I got to dr- – like, the one thing I can say for myself on a positive level – I watched all four hours of the NFL draft. I did not at least watch the red carpet of the NFL draft. Like, that's a different level of commitment <laughs> that I wasn't willing to uh, to add on to. So, no, I didn't see the interview with Susie Colbert. What did he say there? But he, he handled it really well. I mean, he said that he didn't – he knew how bad it looked. I mean, she pressed him really hard on it. And to be fair, I only saw that interview. I didn't watch the red carpet either. So, can't out myself on that. But he basically said that he understands why people think it's a bad look, but that he knows – that his teammates in college and that his teammates in wherever he ends up in the NFL, once they get to know him, will understand that that is not a reflection of who he is anymore. And I think that's all you have to understand with this kid is he was stupid and he was young. He said some dumb things on the internet, but it shouldn't affect him long-term. Some people it should because some people actually believe that to their core. I don't think that Josh Allen is one of those guys. What about the other first-round quarterbacks uh, that were drafted, whether it was uh, Josh Allen, we just talked about, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, or Lamar Jackson? Any of them you're really buying into? I know you watch a lot of college football like many of our listeners do. Was there anybody that you kind of fell in love with of those five quarterbacks that went in the first round? See, I think it's interesting with all five of them because they're all so different and that Josh Rosen is the guy that looks like he's so football smart that, I mean, the whole thing with Jim Mora saying, oh, he's, he has to be challenged intellectually because he's not challenged intellectually in a football facility. Like, I think that is really interesting because I don't know what he's going to look like in the NFL. Is he going to think he's too smart? He's obviously very talented. And then you look at Sam Darnold, who has all the different intangibles and is so talented as a raw quarterback and athlete. Can he translate? And I have to agree, tell you, Clay, I disagree with you, Lamar Jackson. I understand when he goes up against really big-time defenses, he didn't look as good. He also didn't have the talent on the offensive line or the talent around him uh, that he will in the NFL. And if he can get underneath a player or a coach who can really help develop him and develop him into the next level, I think he could still be pretty good. Is he going to look like a video game? Probably not. But I was kind of hoping that the Patriots would take a look at him and say, okay, look, we'll bring you in, let you play underneath Tom Brady and see if you can translate and give you a couple of years to develop in the league. Because I think if he gets in the right system, he could end up being pretty successful. You had a a decent amount of coverage when you were in Boston surrounding all the drama of the Patriots with Belichick, with Brady, with Gronk. We haven't really talked about it much on the show. 
But Brady's going to be 41 this year. Gronk now has made it clear that he's coming back for another year. I think it's fair to say that there remains tension inside the Patriots locker room. If I told you right now over under one and a half years for Tom Brady to continue to play, would you take the over or would you take the under? I would take the over just because I, from everything that we know, Tom Brady wants to play until his arms fall off. So I feel like he's stubborn enough to where he will play. However, I believe his contract is up at the end of, of 2019 or going into 2019. I Gronk is there too. And I've said this before, anytime you've got a wife like Giselle who's coming out and saying that you, you know, she doesn't want you to be playing football anymore, happy wife, happy life, you understand that. There's yes, that indeed. element that's playing into it. So I'm going to take the over just because I think Tom Brady is still playing at such a high level and he knows he wants to, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, if it is coming to an end, because there is a dysfunction that's going on, and Bill Belichick would be on that list too. Is he going to end up um, leaving and wanting to go somewhere else? It just depends on how bad it is in Foxborough, and that's yet to be seen. Game 7, Celtics. We haven't talked about this much either because we focused almost entirely on the NFL draft, but the Boston Celtics are coming back home against the Bucks in a Game 7. What do you expect in that game to happen, and uh, does it really matter given the fact that the Celtics will eventually next year have back Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. I think it's fair to say that neither the Celtics nor the Bucks are a championship caliber team right now. Why does this Game 7 matter significantly to either team? I think that for Celtics fans, Game 7 is important because it shows that they don't just need Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward to look, to look good or decent. Because this is a really young team. and Outside of Al Horford, these are a lot of really young guys. So from the Celtics fans that I've talked to, they just didn't want to get embarrassed in the first round. They understand this is not a championship caliber team, like you said, without those two guys. But making it out of the first round after a tough series like this, I think just shows that there's a lot of talent that's going to be developed and that they're going to be a really good team next year. And you're right, neither one of these teams are going to be making it out of the East, maybe not even to the Eastern Conference Finals. But it's been such an interesting series going back and forth with Chris Middleton and the Bucks being so good some nights and other nights the young guys for the Celtics really stepping up. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the Celtics pull out a win. I think it'll be close. It's been a fun series to watch, and I didn't necessarily know if it would be because once Kyrie Irving got announced he wasn't going to be playing, it was like, okay, well, you can just count the Celtics out until next year, and that's not been the case. By no means are they going to keep going, I don't think. I think they'll lose in the second round, but I do think they'll make it out this weekend. We're talking to Casey Smith. Go follow her on Twitter at K-A-Y-C-E Smith. Uh, You can thank her for cursing on the air, uh, which is uh, (laughs) always uh, impressive to wake up everybody to start off Friday morning. What do you think? Are you as fascinated by these Kanye West tweets as I am? Like, I started following Kanye. I have no idea from one moment to the next what to expect, but all the Donald Trump drama, everything else – is, is it just me, or is this guy impossible to look away from? I, it's like watching a train wreck. It's really one of the things on Twitter that I – because I don't necessarily care about the celebrity drama on Twitter unless there's, like, a great fight that's going on, then for some reason I'll follow it. Uh, but for some reason, Kanye just keeps pulling me back in because when he tweeted the screenshot between him and John Legend, like about John Legend yes. trying to talk him out of being a Trump supporter – I'm thinking how like how savage is this guy? They are apparently really good friends. You know, Chrissy Teigen and Kim Kardashian are good friends. And he's just saying he just doesn't care whatsoever. He's going to put everybody on blast. And I don't understand. Like, I want to picture him just sitting in a room by himself doing it. That's what I want. Is it? He's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to fire this out to millions of people today just because I feel like it. It's very fascinating to me. It is, it is pretty wild. Um, what are you looking forward to the most over the weekend? Will you watch the NFL draft now that round one is over? 
Will you watch the NFL draft more on Friday and Saturday, or will you pay more attention to the NBA and or the NHL? I'll watch the NFL draft tonight, and then tomorrow I'll pay more attention to the NBA and the NHL and just watch the draft on Twitter. And I have a question for you, Clay. Do you hate spoilers for the NFL draft? Do you hate when they're when they're no, tweeted out? No, I, I saw you. I saw you tweeted out. I would rather get the pick early on Twitter. And here's the thing: if I don't like, for instance. Last night, the Titans traded up, and I was watching the draft live with my 7-year-old and with my 10-year-old. And when the Titans traded up to 23, my boys are obviously Titans fans. We're season ticket holders. I didn't want to check Twitter because I knew that the news of who the Titans were going to draft would probably pop earlier uh, on there. And so I didn't check my phone, and I sat with my boys, and I waited until the commissioner announced who the Titans were picking I think with the 23rd overall pick, and it was Rashawn Evans. And my seven-year-old, unfortunately, has turned into a huge Alabama fan. So every time an Alabama player got drafted, he was ecstatic. Like He was excited to watch Derrick Henry reacting to the Rashawn Evans pick, all that stuff, which is just a stab into my heart over and over again uh, to have an Alabama fan in my own household. But I made the choice, like, don't look at social media if I don't want the picks to be spoiled for me, right? So... Um, I, I don't blame anybody. If you have information in the era that we live in, Twitter to me is an informational port- portal. So if you've got the information, you should share it. Yeah, that I, I feel like in a perfect world, I wouldn't want to know who's getting picked. I would stay off Twitter, but you know that's impossible because A, if you work in sports media, you need to be on Twitter. And B, there's so many different ways to get that information. So I completely agree. If you have the resources to figure it out, you can put that information out there. And I got roasted for that. I mean, people were just, and I, it was a very small minority, but of course you always pay attention to the negative minority uh, above the majority. But it surprises me that people are sitting on Twitter during the draft in 2018 and surprised that picks were being leaked. So that that's just shocking to me. But at the same time, if you're watching the NFL draft as closely as so many people are, it, the element of surprise is gone, but that's, it kind of makes it fun. It's like a race to see who can get it first, and Adam Schefter usually is that guy. But I like that. It's an adrenaline rush to me when I'm watching it, seeing how this information is getting out there and who's going to be pitched. So the early rounds of the NFL draft, I like doing that. Once it gets to Saturday, that adrenaline rush for me is gone, but I'll pay attention to it on, on Twitter because people are still going to be getting that information, but I'd rather watch postseason at that point. Yeah, the only thing I give spoilers on is television shows. So, for instance, if I'm watching Game of Thrones, I'm cognizant of the fact that a lot of my followers aren't in the East Coast. Maybe they're having to watch it on the West Coast, for instance. And so I'll just say, like, wow. You know, I won't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe, spoiler alert, Jon Snow (laughs) just came back to life, right? Like, I'm not going to just, like, give it away like that. That's the only place because I want people to be able to experience that for themselves. Last question for you. We're talking to Casey Smith. Go follow her on Twitter at KYC Smith. What's too much money to spend to go watch, like, Sunday? My wife was saying, hey, should we take everybody and go watch the Preds against the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets? All right, Sunday in Nashville where we got I got little league baseball to coach on Friday so I can't go to that game but I'm not just buying tickets now for me and my wife I've got to buy tickets for my entire family so it's a it's a I've got three boys so we have to buy five tickets what is too high of a dollar figure to spend to be able to go watch a postseason hockey game like because that's what I'm, I'm rationalizing with you right now like I've got StubHub open on my phone and my wife's like let's do it but I'm like, I don't know. For five people, it's different than one. It's different than two. What's the dollar figure? 
Clay, happy wife, happy life. You have to do it no matter what because Laura wants you to. That's the way this goes. Sadly, that's actually probably what I'm going to end up doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the question is, is how much money do you want to make your wife happy? That's the that's what you have to boil this down to. If there's a dollar limit on that, you don't want to tell her that. You might as well just do it and just kind of suck it up and make her happy. That's the, that's my thought process on this. Here, here's the problem. It's going to cost, like when I'm looking right now, I don't want to go and sit. I refuse now to go sit at the top of an arena. It's going to be like $400 a ticket. So I'm spending two grand to take my family to go watch a hockey game. Yeah, that's. I wouldn't do it just because I don't like spending a lot of money for tickets unless it's 100% something I have to be at. But at the same time, I'm not married, and I don't have three kids that will probably be like, well, why can't we go? Are we poor now? You have all of these things you have to think about, Clay. I, it's a lot that's of why, money, but maybe you just do it. That's why I walk around the house turning out all the lights. That's what dads do. Uh, Casey Smith, thanks for getting up early with us. Go follow her on Twitter at K-A-Y-C Smith. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.